Hello everybody, welcome or welcome back to Analyzing with Anne. That's analyzing spelled with two N's just like my name, no E on the end of that one there. Today is going to be yet another more serious episode as I dig deeper into some topics that I started talking about in my analysis of the season finale of season 8 of When Calls the Heart. Specifically going into more depth on the uproar of social media, what I have been reading on social media, my thoughts, and uh, further explanation for how I am going to approach Season 9. So, let's get started. Hardys slash now considered former Hardys now were very frustrated with the finale and the overall writing of season eight. There have been some interviews where a couple of the leading actors have said that they didn't know who Elizabeth was going to end up with till later in the filming process. I'm not exactly sure of when that was. It kind of sounded like it was up to that day or the day before that they learned that she was going to end up with Lucas. But again, I'm not particularly sure of when that was. I had seen through social media, especially a couple weeks after the finale, that Team Nathan Hardy's had found evidence of a flipped script, which Bird denies over and over on social media. They have also presented some evidence that... The choice of who she was going to end up with was made, I think it was the day before filming that last episode or scenes. From what I could gather, it was made pretty close to the end of filming. And I do remember seeing some tweets on Twitter about the end of the filming. And then looking back from what other Hardys found, it did seem as if there was something fishy going on with the dates and how they were lining up and when they finally made decisions on the script. I would like to make a disclaimer that despite these pieces of evidence being uncovered, it doesn't mean that this is 100% true. However, on the other hand, it does present yellow flags that should not be ignored and swept under the rug just because we don't want to believe that a person isn't squeaky clean from a biblical perspective. I think that's a problem with a lot of Hardys, is that they don't want to believe that Brian Bird or Paul Green or John Tinker or Aaron Krakow or anyone associated with the production is not the squeaky clean person with all the right answers and is always morally right in everything. I think that's a huge problem. That's a part of the Hardy's cult, which I will talk about later. But that is an issue that I have with the Hardy's group. Also, I have read where Hardy's talk about Alfonso Moreno saying that he had originally written seasons six and seven with Nathan as end game in mind. Again, I am not saying that this is 100% true. I am not saying this is 100% false. I am just saying that this is something that Team Nathan people have found on some type of social media or an article they have read. I can't say with 100% certainty that this is true, but I also can't say with 100% certainty that this is false. 
I'm just trying to present some facts here that I have heard. What do I think about this issue with the Hardys? I do think that uh, Bird needs to own up to his tortoise and the hare remark that he had been doing since season six, always talking about the tortoise and the hare. Frankly, it's very inconsistent with how season eight ended. It's actually inconsistent with season eight for the most part, but definitely with the last couple episodes and how it ended. Because for those following, Nathan was being compared to the tortoise, whereas Lucas was being compared to the hare. And in the beginning of season eight, there was a scene where Elizabeth and her little son were watching a family of bunnies. I think they were white, if I remember correctly. And Lucas was the one who came up and made remarks about the bunnies. From what a lot of super enthusiastic fans say, there are always little Easter eggs. And that was possibly an Easter egg. I also think that there is evidence later on in the season that there could have definitely been a flipped script and things were rushed. I think the whole Nathan and Faith scene was definitely one that the writers just plugged in there last minute because they needed to find a way to kind of soften some edges. I don't think they actually accomplished that because it definitely was not very coherent. It seemed like it was thrown at the last minute of filming. Also, from what I've kind of read of Bird and Krakow's reactions, it's very obvious that Bird has been gaslighting fans and Krakow has just been trying to sweep things under the rug and try to put on this performance of let's just get along and grab hands and sing Kumbaya around the fire. That's basically what she's tried to say with let's all be Hope Valley after this. That's totally the message I'm getting. And then she makes up these really poor excuses for what went on after watching, I think it was the E.T. interview with all three of the leads at the point. She was definitely trying to sell what were obvious lies about everything. She was totally trying to overplay everything. It was this moment of passion. Totally overplayed everything. It was obvious that either she's trying to convince herself that all of this is innocent and squeaky clean and true, or that she is just trying to convince the audience whether or not she personally is okay with the decision and what happened I don't know. It could be her worldview playing in there. It could be she has her hands tied from the CEO. I don't know, but I have had some issues with Krakow from what I have seen and her responses and reactions on Twitter when I was on Twitter. And I will talk about this later in the episode. But there was just some stuff that made me question how squeaky clean she really was as a person. 
and something didn't sit quite right. But I will talk about that later on in this episode. Also, I alluded to this earlier that Krakow could have had her hands completely tied by the CEO of Hallmark. I think that, plainly speaking, the CEO is the major reason why the show ended up being the way it was in Season 8, why the last episodes ended up being the way they were in Season 8, and why there was most likely, from what I can tell, most likely a flipped script in Season 8. I do want to specify that I am not saying that to justify Brian Bird or Aaron Krakow or John Tinker's responses to the Hardys. I don't think that Brian Bird should have been gaslighting Hardys about it. All that does is it's going to make him look bad. It's going to make him look like a bully online. But I am trying to say I don't think that they're completely 100% guilty of how things turn out. I want to move on into discussing When Calls the Heart Going Woke. I think it's time that we do a little bit of math here. And I'm not talking about a math in numbers. I'm talking about thinking this through logically and figuring it out. In May slash June of 2020, bars are opening up while churches are being told to either stay closed or are given restrictions in the name of safety. And then we have the whole defund the police movement start around that same time. Hallmark hires a woke CEO. The evidence that she's woke is that she wants to apply the, what they call die method, diversity, inclusion, equity method to Hallmark's entertainment. This, however, had no effect on season seven because the CEO, to my memory, had started the job either right when or right after season seven started filming. So that had no effect on season seven. However, in season eight, the supposed heroine treats the Mountie like trash, virtue signaling and bullying him right and left and ends up with the saloon owner in the end. Coincidence? Please remember that two plus two equal four. Let's do further math into this situation. Brian Bird starts throwing excuses to persuade viewers that two plus two equals five. Like I have said with the script stuff, I think it's pretty obvious that something went off the rails. Something is just not logically right in this situation. So he's trying to convince us that everything is okay. You're wrong if you are not okay with this. Gaslighting anyone who dare disagrees with the outcome of season eight. Bird's reactions seem very familiar. A lot like, oh, I don't know, mainstream media? Most, if not all, of the cast and crew's worldview or religion obviously align with progressivism. And the primary purpose of the arts in progressivism is to surprise or shock viewers. It sounds a lot like season eight, doesn't it? Furthermore, progressivism aligns with the second religion introduced to Eve by the serpent in the garden. 
which I'm going to read here in Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired, to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed the fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I read that from the ESV. And I looked into the notes in my ESV study Bible as well, which is where I came up with my notes on what I'm about to talk about now. The serpent's question deliberately contradicts God's word to Adam. The serpent presents fruit as something worth acquiring because Adam and Eve will be like God, knowing good and evil. I'm going to take a moment to talk a little bit about the words like God. This is very important because this is what we're seeing in Hollywood from actors, even arguably in Hollywood North. And I would argue that a lot of the cast and crew associated with When Calls the Heart have this worldview where they want to be like God or to put it probably in more precise terms, they want to be God. They want to be divine. They want to be the Savior with all the answers. They want to be righteous. And they want their viewers to believe that they are the righteous one. You follow what they believe. You follow what they think in order to be righteous and virtuous. And they will twist scripture to make it fit their narrative. Going back to what I was just talking about in the notes, Adam and Eve were created in God's image with the expectation to exercise authority over the animals, which obviously includes the serpent. What they did instead was obey the serpent and were unfaithful to God in this instance. They listened to the serpent's voice. They listened to what the serpent said and that is before they took the fruit. This was treachery on Adam and Eve's part. They were given the responsibility to exercise authority over the earth and everything in it on God's behalf. By obeying the serpent, they rebelled against the divine king. This phrase, you will surely die, 
One can argue that this claim is partially true due to the fact that Adam lived to be 930 years old. God acknowledges in verse 22 that Adam and Eve's eyes have been opened, now knowing good and evil like one of us. However, the serpent speaks half-truths that promise much, but instead results in little. What do I mean by this? What I mean by this is that Adam and Eve's eyes are opened and they do come to know something. However, it is only that they are naked. They learn good and evil through experience, but they become afraid to meet God due to their sense of guilt. They become slaves to evil. While they continue to physically exist, they were sent out of the garden and God's presence, being cut off from the source of life and tree of life. Adam and Eve are now living in the realm of the dead. Instead of living as God intended, they experience spiritual death. Basically, there are small truths in what the serpent says, but they do not end up living forever but they do end up living after making that decision, depending on how you see that argument. In contrast to the serpent's half-truths, King David points directly to God as the source of Israel's security and well-being. This is according to 1 Chronicles 29, 11-13, which is what I will be reading for you here. As I read this, I want you to note who David is giving praise, and glory to in this passage? Is it man or is it God? Let's listen. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. I think it's very clear that David is giving God the glory. He's acknowledging all his riches, all his accomplishments are directly from God, not from man, so that man cannot boast which is in contrast to what the serpent is trying to persuade Adam and Eve of. Well, actually, he does persuade Adam and Eve. He's not trying because he succeeds in the end. And even back in where I read in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, 
and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit. The words to make one wise leave a bit of an understanding, quite an understanding actually, that there was a desire to be like God. Likewise, Jesus calls his audience to decide if they will build their lives on him and his message of the kingdom of heaven or the cultural and religious fashion. I'm going to read Matthew 7, 11 through 13. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. If you are a professing Christian who is listening to this, I hope you're listening very carefully to everything I have been saying here. The big point that I am trying to make is that there are two religions. One that follows God and what God says is right, and one that follows man and what man says is right. Progressivism ends up obeying the serpent, seeking to make a God out of one's self. Following God with a capital G means that we submit to what God calls good and evil, not what our culture calls good and evil. I want to make another woke note here. Part of the woke religion includes the idea of women having to override men to be strong Looking back on season eight, this is how the young women of Hope Valley behaved towards the men. Let's read Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. This is a part of the verse that I'm getting at here. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Adam and Eve's rebellion against God resulted in Eve having the sinful desire to act against Adam and force leadership over him. This reverses God's plan for Adam to lead in marriage. I'm going to read Genesis 2, 18-24. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. 
Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. After reflecting on season eight and reflecting on what I have been reading and saying, it sounds like Clara really does wrestle with this through a lot of season eight when her and Jesse are having marital issues. This is an issue that they're wrestling with. And while this is somewhat resolved towards the end of the season, it just did not feel like your typical storyline where everything was brought to light. That was never really done in the season. We heard bits and pieces of their apology, but we never really heard what happened with their money, what Jesse had invested it in until later in the season. And there were still some cliffhangers with exactly what happened. We never got to hear Jesse and Claire talk things out as to what had happened. We did get a little acknowledgement from Clara that she had jumped the gun on Jesse and had made a prejudgment that he was eating all her baked goods that she had prepared for the bachelorette party. And she did later make an apology saying, admitting that was wrong of me. But I think there's definitely a struggle between the two of them where Clara wants to be in charge. I think she kind of knows she does need to respect Jesse, but she's having a hard time really applying that. And Jesse's having a hard time being a leader. I think he wants to be a leader and he knows that's what he should be, but he's really having a hard time applying that in this season. We also see that with Faith. She came back a bit of a brat, may I say? I don't know how to describe it, but she comes back and she wants to both literally and figuratively wear the pants. Likewise, we also see this with Fiona when she defies Bill's orders for men to help with the explosion in episode three, which he does specifically want men because he wants to protect Fiona and the woman of Hope Valley. While I am not totally upset over the fact that Fiona helped, I think in the moment because she was there and they needed an extra hand, she's better than nothing at that in that instance. But I do think that we're seeing her get a woke makeover where she has to be exactly like the men in town and wants all the... I don't like to use the word power because I think that's too strong. I don't think she's necessarily power hungry, but I think she wants to, I don't know what I'm trying to say. She wants to exercise authority over the men. Okay. It's not necessarily she wants to exercise authority over the men, although she kind of does, but it's more that she wants to prove that a woman can do anything a man can do, which is not true, but that's beside the point for what I'm trying to bring across. One of the major characters that also falls in this category of wanting to exercise authority over men is Elizabeth, continually nagging at Nathan as if she owns him throughout the season. We see this over and over. She's continually nagging. She's continually being a bully, for lack of better words, 
She's continually being a bully towards Nathan. She needs to have to. She needs to know every single detail, and she needs to know it now. Everything needs to be solved right now with Nathan. There's no, let's sit and discuss this in private. There's no understanding of his police job getting in the way of trying to explain things to Allie. None of that. It all has to be resolved right then and right now. We also see her having to wear the pants in what was seen as the Elizabeth and Lucas's relationship. She forces leadership while Lucas worships her and he will back down whenever she challenges him. I'm not saying that Elizabeth is never right about anything. I'm saying she always has to be right about everything. That was seen where Lucas, you could say he snarkily kind of backfires at her, which I was glad he did that in the beginning of the season because Elizabeth needs someone to say, you're not following your own advice. I'll be honest, she needed to zip it and stop badgering everyone else to follow her advice that she wasn't following throughout the season. Remember what I said about following God earlier? We are to submit to God's plan for marriage, not man's. The women of Hope Valley, pretty much aside from Rosemary, are starting to follow man's plan for marriage, not God's. Since this podcast is already long enough in length, I am going to skip over the Hardy's cult and talk about that in a part three, which will hopefully be much shorter than this, and close with my plans for season nine. I'm going to keep up with Hope Valley Central Station, which is a YouTube channel, on what happens in season nine instead of giving the show ratings and watching it. My reasons for this might be already self-explanatory in what I have said, but I'm just going to recap it here. I see this show heading in a direction that, frankly, follows the serpent. I believe the main reason for this show ending the way it did is the CEO. However, I do believe that Bird and Krakow have just added to this with their reactions on social media. Basically, I think that Bird and Krakow are behaving more like cult leaders, which will be talked about more in part three where I talk about the Hardy's cult. As long as Wind Calls the Heart bows down to the culture, I do not want to blindly invest time and more money into further seasons of the show until I have done research. In addition to watching Hope Valley Central Station, I will also tune in to Swing My Heart podcast, also found on YouTube, and listen to their take. If, from what I hear, this sounds like something that I can at least start watching and not feel terrible about it or feel like I'm watching something that goes strictly against my views as I see this direction heading, then maybe, just maybe, I will at least start watching season nine and say, I don't have to finish this if I don't want to, but I'll give it a try. As I stated before, the direction that I see this going is a, quote, new narrative that they are so subtly and slyly pushing. And it is the same as the one culture is pushing. 
now, and it does glorify what the serpent said to Eve, you shall be like God. This is a narrative that I think Christians who really want to honor and glorify God need to be pushing back on at this point. And with Hollywood North, I see the same problems that people are seeing with Hollywood. Money speaks to those involved involved with the projects, which I will say, total disclaimer, I don't think that this in and of itself is bad, but I think it's to the point where this is an idol for a lot of producers, directors, writers, actors. It's all about the money and less about really the project. And for these people, I also believe that for them, money equals power. At least for most of these people, I think that is how it works in this industry, the industry of Hollywood and Hollywood North. And I refuse to become one of Brian Bird's puppets. Again, you'll understand more where that heads to when I do part three. I do want to take a quick second to urge and encourage fellow Christians to do their own research on what I have been saying and pray about it. If you believe that you are being led to not watch the show, then I would just urge you to follow that belief no matter how hard it is. Please don't just take my word for it on this podcast or part three if you listen to that one. Go to the Bible and ask God that he would give you wisdom and clarity in what to do and give you really a check in your spirit to know if this is something you should be watching, if this is a narrative that you need to look into, to know if it's biblical or not. I would just encourage you to research and pray about that and just follow where the Lord leads you. Thank you for tuning in to Analyzing with Anne. Just a reminder, you can follow me on Clout Hub at lowercase a riddle, R-I-D-D-L-E, 22. Again, that is a riddle, 22. You can also follow me on Parlor at capital A, lowercase m, riddle, 8. Again, that is a capital A, lowercase m, r-i-d-d-l-e, 8. You can also check out my fan fiction, The Flynn's Play Matchmaker. And my name on there is capital A, lowercase red, riddle, 22. Also, if... Any of this information that I have shared interests you and you want to hear me talk more about this type of theological, philosophical topics, I would love to have you join me on my second podcast, the Anne Marie podcast. I don't know if this is out on the Apple Store just yet, but it is available at Google Podcast, Anchor, and Spotify. I currently have just an introduction episode, nothing else, but if you want to tune into that, you are completely welcome. Again, thank you for tuning in to Analyzing with Anne, and enjoy the rest of your day.